My name is Andrew Gomison, and it is my privilege each and every week to be your host for the Speaking for Him podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I hope that you will find blessing and encouragement as you are here. If you are a first-time listener, welcome. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. I truly appreciate everyone who listens, and I am so grateful for the recent uptick in listens that I have experienced. So if it is your first time here, or if you've simply never reached out, might I encourage you to reach out with the contact information that will run at the end of the show. It would be a huge blessing to me, and my prayer is that it would be encouraging to you as well. And I'm here to pray for you, answer your questions, and take show ideas for the future. Uh, we didn't get to 11 years of podcasting and very nearly 580 episodes without the support and encouragement of others and many show ideas. I have the privilege of doing this podcast each and every week, and often I am sitting in my home studio by myself preparing these encouraging words for you, but I could not do it without the many supporters that I have. My parents are two of the biggest visionaries behind my ministry. They knew that God had a plan for my life, and they've encouraged me to live it out. And that's a big reason why Speaking for Him exists today. I have many friends that have their own part in making sure that I am prayed for and cared for and loved, and I pray that that comes through the podcast as well. But all that to say, I'm super grateful each and every week to come to this microphone and give you something to encourage you on your Christian journey. We need each other, and I'm grateful to be used by God for His glory. Well, today we are continuing in our series, Myths About Jesus. Now, the impetus for this series was actually a blog post written by Natasha Crane uh, earlier this year um, during Super Bowl time. There was a campaign called He Gets Us, and it sought to bring Jesus to the common people. And while its goal was perhaps good, some of the things that it entailed were not so good. They kind of watered down the truth of who Jesus is. And so I've taken that blog post and turned it into a podcast series where I discuss some of the myths that Natasha believed in her heart were perpetuated by this well-meaning campaign. And so we've been going through that in recent weeks, and you can find all of these episodes on a playlist called Myths of Jesus if you go to my website, speakingforhim.com. That's speakingthenumberforhim.com. That website will be repeated at the end of the show, so make sure you go there and avail yourselves of all the wonderful episodes in this series. But today's myth is Jesus wants to inspire others. Now, certainly those of us who are Christians and have been redeemed by the Lord can say that he has inspired us to live a better life, but that is by no means the primary reason that he came. And to mention it in those terms is to downplay the significance of Jesus coming to us as God in the flesh. Truly, if Jesus was just a man, we are very miserable. But because Jesus is 
was and always will be the very Son of God, we have hope for the future. So as we dig into this important topic, keep that in mind, that it is important for us to realize that while Jesus may be inspiring, his purpose goes far beyond that. I want to start our discussion with our quote of the day. Our quote of the day comes from 1 Timothy 1.15, where the Apostle Paul writes, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And again, that's 1 Timothy 1.15. This is so important for us to understand that the reason Jesus came into the world, among others, was to save us from our sins. And Paul, one of the greatest early church fathers, is saying in the present tense, in this passage, that he is the chief of sinners. And this is an important statement by the Apostle Paul. I believe we see a pattern in Scripture that shows that the closer Paul got to the Lord as his faith went on, the less he thought of himself. In one of his epistles, he refers to himself as the least of the apostles. But here in 1 Timothy, he says, I am the chief of sinners. And so I think there is great significance to that, and it's a great basis for this discussion. Because as we go on, we will see that there's nothing good in Jesus if he is not, in fact, the divine Son of God. Why is this? It's because we have a situation where we are sinners. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. And so we need a Savior. And the only one that can save us is one who in himself has no sin. If you look back at the Old Testament, the priests would offer sacrifices every year, but only after they had made atonement for themselves. But we needed a priest who could atone for us without having to atone for himself. And the only way that could happen is through the perfection of Jesus Christ. So this is such an important place to start with this discussion, is the fact that Jesus came in to the world to save sinners. So I have five aspects of that now that I would like to go over with you. And we are going to start with the first of these five reasons that Jesus came to earth. Now, I actually, in my research for this episode, came upon a blog post that I believe had 25 reasons. And I will include that in the show notes because it was an inspiration for this episode. The first one that I want to highlight for you today is Jesus came to be the light of the world. John eight twelve says, Then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And again, that's John eight twelve. Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. I am coming to this sin-seek world to show you how to live a life in the light. He says that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But when Jesus makes us new, 
he allows us to walk in the light, not because of our own righteousness, but because of his mercy and his righteousness. And so I'm very thankful that Jesus came to be the light of the world. It seems today that the world is getting darker and darker, so it is incumbent upon us to embrace the light of the world because Jesus would later say to his disciples, by extension, ye are the light of the world. And so we need to realize that as we accept the light of the world into our lives, we can become the light of the world and help people change for the better through the Holy Spirit of God. The next of these five reasons that Jesus came is that he came to show forth the truth. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, John 1.17. And Paul reflects this in Galatians when he says, the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law wasn't sufficient to save us. The law required yearly sacrifices, as I said, from an imperfect man who was appointed the high priest, and he had to atone for his own sin every year before he went in to pay for the sins of the people. These were temporary things, to give us a picture of what would happen when Jesus came once for all. The law was not sufficient to save us, but God did not change the rules in order to save us. He did not lower the standards in order to save us. As I have said many times on this podcast, he lowered Jesus to us because Jesus, the perfect Son of God, was the standard-bearer for us, and he fulfilled the law so that we could take on his righteousness and by virtue of that be regarded as perfect in the sight of God. If you are discouraged today, remember that it's not according to your righteousness that you're saved, but according to the righteousness of Jesus. The third point that I want to make today is that Jesus came to serve. In Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28, we read, But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is such a good example to us because the world would say that you should embrace leadership by lording things over others. You should embrace leadership because you want the superior position. But what Jesus is saying is that greatness is found when we serve one another. Let me say that again. Greatness is found when we serve one another. If I could say a word to the married couples that are listening, if we would embrace this passage of Matthew 20, 25 to 28, marriages would be so much stronger. Because you see, God has instituted the man as the leader in marriage. But it's not so that the man can lord it over his spouse. It's so that he can protect her so that he can be her servant. Peter says to honor your wife as the weaker vessel. 
There's no shame in that. It's about honor. It's about putting your wife in a place of blessing. And for the wives listening, they have a great opportunity to show their greatness by serving their husband and their families. We have a virus in our culture that is selfishly driven that says that a woman can't be enough if she is just a mom. Did you realize that mom is the most important job in our culture and the most neglected? We have people getting married older and older than ever before in our culture because we have told our young people that getting married is not as important as being established yourself and being able to provide for yourself before you do that. Now, there is wisdom in preparing. There is wisdom in being financially astute and making wise decisions while you are single. And there's wisdom in realizing that you may not get married if that's not God's will. But I believe we need a cultural shift because I believe that for the vast majority of people, he is going to call them to marriage at some point. And we need to get to the place where we as people in the church, we as family and friends of these people, are not only encouraging them to marry, but helping them find people to marry. Not because they have a lot of money, not because they have a lot of charisma, but because they are godly people seeking after the Lord and they have the characteristics that complement those we love. I really think this needs to happen more in the church. Because even though there's so many dating sites out there, it seems harder and harder to pair up with someone for the rest of your life. And I don't believe that it should be this way. So I think it's important for us to realize that Jesus came to serve. So our mindset, whether single or married, should be to serve one another. Next, we have Jesus came to do away with sin. Isn't this a precious truth that Jesus came to do away with sin? Now, we know that the reality is that we struggle with sin today, even if we are believers, because even Paul said there's another spirit warring within me, the spirit of sin. He says, the things that I would do, those I do not, and the things that I would not do, those things I do. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then it says, thanks be to God who giveth me the victory through Jesus Christ. But here's what it says in Hebrews. Hebrews nine twenty four to 28, a lot of richness here. For Christ is not entered into the holy places, made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the with blood of others. For then he must often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once, in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered 
to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him he shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So imagine this. There's another passage that says, all creation groans for the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because in Revelation we read that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Do you realize the reason that the leaves die every year, the reason that the leaves fall off the trees and die and cover the earth is because of sin. Because death comes through sin. God created the world perfect, and Adam and Eve chose to disregard God's rule, his one rule, and sin was cast upon the whole human race as a result. And what we see today is the result of sin. People seeking themselves, people being disrespectful to parents, people being disrespectful to authority, people not realizing that having a moral standard is key to an orderly society. I mean, God put it in very plain text when he said, let all things be done decently and in order. We see in this passage, as I said earlier, that the writer of Hebrews is contrasting the Old Testament way of sacrifice with the new. He said, Jesus isn't one who has to offer often because he offered himself once. We have a great high priest who is familiar with our infirmities. Isn't it great to know that when Jesus tells us to do something, he can reflect on the hardness of the human life and realize that it is difficult apart from the Spirit of God to do these things. So he gives us grace. He gives us the desire and the power to do the things that we ought He gives us his Holy Spirit, who Jesus said would guide us into all truth. You know, Jesus as a human being, he could not be with each of the disciples at all times. But when he left and he sent his Holy Spirit to be with his people, he sent himself, in essence, in a form that would allow the believer to be indwelt and so that he would be able to say, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's the promise that we have. And we have the promise that Jesus is going to return one day, finally and definitively. He put away sin on the cross, but when he comes back, all heaven and earth is going to be new and without sin. We are going to get new bodies that are incorruptible, that are not tainted with sin. There will be no wheelchairs in heaven because they're not allowed. Because a wheelchair is a sign of the sin that the world has been cursed with. You know, some people may say, why would God allow you to be in a wheelchair? If he's such a good and loving God, why would he allow that? And trust me, I asked that question for nine years before I finally came to the conclusion 
that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Do I now know why God allowed that to happen? In some ways, I don't have any more answers than I did when I was struggling. But the difference is I know that God is working through my infirmities to bring himself glory. And that is an exciting reality in which I live. I hope that you've enjoyed this study as we've been unfolding the reasons why Jesus came. And I may even do a separate series just on that topic because, as I said, when I was plumbing the depths of the subject, I realized how deep it really was. So stay tuned if we return to this individual topic as a series because there's a lot here. But as we continue we see that Jesus came to give life. In the Old Testament, Jesus said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy, I have set before you life and death, therefore choose life that thou and thy descendants may live. In the Psalms we read, Thou hast shown me the path of life, and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. The way to live a fulfilled life is to live it in the power of Jesus Christ. And that's what we read as we contemplate these verses. First we read John 10.10 The thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. This is one of my most frequently quoted verses. Again, this is John chapter 10, verse 10. Very simple, very succinct, but very true. That Jesus came to give us life and life more abundant. This verse speaks to me so boldly of the fact that my abundant life is not something that's going to begin in eternity. Although, I look forward to that abundance of living a sin-free life with the Lord Jesus in person and enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. But this verse also speaks of the fact that God wants me to live an abundant life now. God wants me to live a fulfilled life now. Again, not for my own glory, not for my own desires, but for His. In the Psalms we read, Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And when I was a young Christian, I used to think, well, what are my desires? Well, I would desire a brand new house with all the latest technology. I would desire a brand new car in the driveway. And I used to think in those terms. And I used to say, well, why isn't God giving me my desires as I delight in him? Because he says he'll give us whatever we desire. But you know, something funny happens. Something amazing happens when we truly delight in the Lord. You know what it is? He changes our desires. Because you see, before we come to Christ, we have a heart of stone. We have a selfish heart. We have a heart that doesn't seek after God. But then the Father draws us to Christ, and he gives us a heart of flesh, a heart that longs to beat for him, a heart that is a heart after his own. That's the kind of heart 
that he gave me when I trusted him as Savior. And that's the kind of heart that he wants to give you. Paul said it this way, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I included verse 21 here because I think a lot of times we don't think about verse 21, but I think it's so powerful. Paul is saying that he died to himself and then he became alive in Christ and Christ is now controlling Paul and giving him the power to do the things that he's been called to do. Remember I said, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He constantly was coming to Paul and saying, Paul, I've got you. This is the next step I want you to take. I will be with you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. The very promise that Jesus made in the Gospels, he reaffirmed multiple times to Paul. And verse 21 is so important because God gives us his grace because he knows that we can't live up to the perfection of the law. But Jesus did it. Jesus fulfilled the law so that we could live in his righteousness because by his righteousness we are capable of doing great things. We see this contrast in the scriptures. In the book of John we read, Without me ye can do nothing. And in the book of Philippians we read, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Those are two sides of the coin. And we have to choose which side we are going to embrace. Are we going to be without him and do nothing? Or with him and do everything that he has called us to do? It's important for us to realize that he may not call us to do the thing that looks cool. And if we try to do the thing that other people have been called to, we may fail miserably. We need to seek him and ask him what it is he's called us to do and then seek to do it with all of our heart and work as unto the Lord. I'm just going to review these five things very quickly and then we will end today. But I thank you for listening and I pray that if this has been encouraging to you that you will pass it on to your family and friends. Again, please contact me with the contact information that we're all at the end of the show and give me any feedback on this episode. I would love to share your feedback via voicemail if you leave one on my blog, speakingforhim.blogspot.com. That's speaking the number for him.blogspot.com. It would be really great to be able to share a voicemail next week of what you have learned from this episode or from the series in general. And if you don't want your voicemail shared, that's okay. It would still be encouraging to me, and I would really like to hear from you. So, these five things again, very quickly, is that Jesus came to be the light of the world. The world was dark. The old hymn says, The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. And truly, that is the case. 
Jesus came to show forth the truth. Jesus even said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus had an interesting conversation with Pilate where he referenced the truth. And then Pilate said the famous words, what is truth? How sad that truth was standing right in front of him and he missed it. May we not do the same. The next we have, Jesus came to serve. Jesus had a mission to serve others. The very fact that he stepped out of heaven and into a human body should show us how dedicated of a servant he was because he gave up a lot of glory to come down and help us. He says in John chapter 17 in his final prayer to the Father before the cross, Restore to me the glory which I had before the world was. Do you ever think about the fact that there was so much probably that went on before the world was that we will never fully comprehend? And yet God in eternity past had you and I in mind when he decided to offer us the redemption of his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then we have that Jesus came to do away with sin. It's not that Jesus is sweeping the sin under the rug. It's not that he's saying it's okay if you're a sinner now. He's come to do away with sin. He took our sin upon him on the cross to the extent that for a moment in time that we can't fully comprehend, the Father turned his face away from Jesus, thus compelling Jesus to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This one of whom he said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, he turned away from for you and for me, so that we would never have to ask that question, because we can have confidence that he will never leave us or forsake us. And then finally, Jesus came to give life. There's a lot of people who are desperate today, desperate to find purpose in life. How sad it is that a prevailing belief in our culture is that we came from nothing and we're going to nothing. I choose to believe the Bible when it says that I was fearfully and wonderfully made, that I was wrought together in my mother's womb, that God knew the days of my life before as yet there were none of them, and that he had a purpose for placing Andrew Gomison in the annals of history on May 27th, 1979. I often think about this in the context of my disability. Perhaps if I was born on May 27th, 1989, I would not even be in a wheelchair today because technology got so much better in the 10 intervening years. Maybe I still would, but maybe I wouldn't. But there's such a great peace in knowing that God had a purpose for making me the way that he did and giving me the life that he did. And it was to bring him honor and glory. The Bible says when the disciples asked who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind, Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned but that the glory of God may be made manifest in him. Was he saying that these parents and this son were perfect? No. 
but he was saying there's no direct correlation between this man's blindness and his sin. But I have made him blind so that the glory of God may be revealed. And after he healed that man physically, he didn't stop there because he found that man and made sure he knew and believed on the only Son of God, himself. You know, there are a lot of people who say that Jesus was a good man and not the Son of God. But actually, the story of the blind man is one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus' deity. Because Jesus asks him, Have you believed on the Son of God? And the blind man says, Well, tell me who he is so that I may believe on him. And Jesus says, You have both seen him, and it is he who speaks to you now. And the blind man's response was to fall down and worship Jesus. And Jesus didn't say, I'm just a man. Get up off the ground. Stop worshiping me. No, he accepted the worship. Why is that? Because he was, is, and always will be the perfect son of God. Worthy of our worship. So I hope that you will worship him in spirit and in truth today. And if you would like more information on how to do that, I pray that you will reach out with the contact information that's about to roll here at the end of the show. Again, that you will share this with those that you love so that they can be encouraged in the faith. And that you will know that I love you, that I care about you, and that I want to see you thrive in the kingdom of God. God doesn't make junk. Yes, many of us, no, all of us, are cracked pots. None of us are perfect. But Jesus takes cracked pots and makes them vessels of holiness. God's light can shine through the cracks of our life. That's about all I have time for on today's episode. Again, I hope you are encouraged and that you will have a blessed week and that, as always, you will keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 